church. How are we? Awesome. I'm glad to see everybody here today. For those of you that are new, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here. Just want to say welcome. As Jason said, we believe all of our guests are VIPs, very important people. Why? Because we have a philosophy here. We believe everyone matters to God, everyone. And we hope that the time you spend with us today, you feel his love and his grace in this place and that you know that you are home with friends who also love the Lord. And so we thank you for spending some time with us today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, continuing in our series through the Gospel of Matthew. We're calling Confessions of a Sinner. Uh, Matthew, he didn't have a great job in the day and times of Jesus Christ. He was considered a betrayer, a traitor to his people. He had a disreputable position, much like those in the IRS today. No one likes a tax collector. And so this was Matthew's position, and this is why we're calling this series Confessions of a Sinner, because Matthew's life was transformed. He went from sinner to saint through an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so we've been going through uh, over uh, the last year or so uh, the Gospel of Matthew, looking at God's Word what and what we can take away from it in our lives today. Now today, I'm going to have to caution you. This is like the parental advisory. All right, we're going to get a little controversial today. Not at Vertical Life Church, no. Right, we're going to get a little controversial today. We're going to talk about something that is a serious issue in our day. It's something that in this day and time is something we have to address. This is that one of those conversations, you know, as parents you have to have with your kids sooner or later. Like if you have, you know, young kids, you'll probably have it eventually. If you have older kids, you've probably already had this conversation. You know what I'm talking about? It's the subject of money. So uh, we're going to talk about tithing and giving today and, uh, and see what God's Word has to say about that. Um, and I know, I know money and giving and all of that's the last thing anybody really wants to talk about. No one wants to address the issue of, of giving and of money. And a matter of fact, if you don't have a church background, this is all you think churches talk about is money. You think that Churches are just a big scam, and they're trying to, you know, get people to give all their money so that the pastors can drive uh, uh, Lexus and, and have their own personal jets and, and all of those things. Well, we're not going to be taking any special offerings today so you can breathe. You know, we're not going to ask you to sow financial seeds today. Uh, but we are going to talk about being generous and giving and, and what Jesus, uh, this interaction he has with these priests in this day. Because generosity and giving is just a part of the Christian life. This is part of who we are. So it's not something we need to shy away from. It's something we need to just keep in mind because God is a generous God. And if we're to be holy like him, we're to pattern our lives after him, we need to also be generous. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, some insider information. It's, it's a fun thing at times to be a pastor. At times it can be stressful and straining, but sometimes it's really fun especially whenever people don't know that I'm a pastor. 
Uh, there are times that I'll, I'll go to places uh, like family gatherings or, uh, you know, I'll go to the gym or whatever, and, and I'll meet people, and they'll talk to me just like I'm one of their friends, and they'll start telling me all the stories that, you know, that they're so proud of, you know, and, and really they're, they're embellishing, and so they're acting a fool a little bit and, and kind of telling me about all these crazy and obnoxious things that they've done or are about to do that weekend or, or wish they would be doing over the weekend, and, and it seems like every time I have one of these conversations where somebody's either swearing up a storm or, or talking about all their dirty little secrets, that eventually the conversation comes around to, so what do you do for a living? And, and so I get to look at them and say, well, now that you ask, I'm a pastor of a church, and you would think hell froze over or, or something crazy happened because their face changes from laughing and obnoxious to sheer terror and shame all over their face. You know, and this has happened multiple times. I can't tell you. You can ask Tony. There are times this happens, and, and it's, it's just it's incredibly awkward for them, but rather funny for me. And, uh, and then when people find out I'm a pastor, they'll come up, and they'll just start confessing things to me, like I want to actually know this information. And, and when it comes to the church, oftentimes people will come up, and, they'll be like, and I'll be like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's a, it's a great day. You know, things going well in the family? Yeah, everything's going well. You know, we're getting ready to take this trip. Yeah, I know I didn't give as much as I should this week, but yeah, we're going to take this, this trip. You know, and, and it's like they, they have this fear that I know exactly how much they put in the offering plate and that I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell God they didn't give enough, and so you need to send some lightning their direction, you know, and, and just call down fire from heaven because they didn't participate like they should. And there's like this guilt when people like, feel like they're not giving or participating in the offering like they should. And I just want to give you some information, okay? I don't know what anybody in this church gives other than myself. I don't see the money. I don't look at it. If you give a lot and you think you're going to get some special privilege because of that, I don't know, okay? If you don't give anything and you're ashamed that I know this and think badly of you, I don't know, okay? So I have no idea what anybody gives. So rest assured, you can come in and everything is okay, okay? So no need to try to, you know, make excuses or things like that. But uh, this is just something that, as a pastor, that I encounter from time to time. And it's not too uncommon that people feel this guilt of not being able to give more or that they haven't been giving like they believe they're supposed to be giving. And I think that there's a reason as to why this is the case, especially in our day, the reason why people feel guilty about what they don't give. And that's because here in America, we essentially are pressured into a greedy, consumerist mindset just by being American citizens. We have a hard time not getting what we want now when we should wait for it later. We have this, I want it now, not later mentality. And because we have this now, not later mentality, it affects how we set up our finances, how we spend our money. I mean, just think about all of our lives. We have instant information on our phones. We have instant rice. We have microwave meals. We have all of this instant access to the things that we do in our life. And the same is true for what we want to spend our money on. We want it now. And so uh, this has created a problem in our culture. Go ahead and throw up that slide, Dale. This is a, a slide that I show in my talks at, in my day job as I work to uh, talk to high school students about the labor market and jobs uh, through uh, Michigan Works and Mock Community College. And uh, if you look on the screen, over here on the right, Generation Y, that's anyone born between 19, 1981 and 1995. 
These are a lot of our young families or people getting ready to have families. Uh, these are uh, kind of the people who have entered the workforce and are now trying to make a life. Generation Y, the average person in that age bracket, carries around around $30,000 of debt that's non-asset accruing. That means that doesn't help your financial portfolio. That harms your financial portfolio from credit cards to lines of credit, things of that nature. And so we just, just going out and spending our money, money we don't have, we accrue these debts. And the more debts we have, the less we get to keep in our pocket. And then especially in this age group specifically, many of them are fresh out of college or have been out of college a little ways. And just in the state of Michigan, the average student debt or student loan debt is around $30,000. So if you are kind of in this age bracket, chances are you could have over $60,000 of debt hanging out over your head not including a mortgage, not including your bills, your groceries, your gas, your electricity, your utilities. We have all of these things that siphon away our resources that prevent us from being able to do what maybe else we would want to do with being generous or giving. This is just the way it is across the nation. And uh, there are those that have come before us that have accrued much larger debts. Some don't have as much, but debt and bills and finances, these things kind of tear at our hearts. They create a tension, a tug of war, it seems, between what we have to spend or what we have to pay back versus what we would like to give. Now, uh, my, my friend Jack is in the audience today. Jack was my Financial Peace University facilitator. Uh, Dave Ramsey has created this uh, kind of system to help you manage your debt and get out of debt. And it's an incredible system. If you've gone through that, you know it's about managing your money God's way, getting out of debt so that you can have your finances freed up to do with it what God wants you to do with it. And, uh, and so uh, uh, I was kind of looking for some tips and tricks from Dave this week and looking at some other resources. And I actually found a new system, Jack, that is probably better than FPU, believe it or not. This new system, it actually takes all the best financial advice and shrinks it down for the common man. It makes it easy. Like if numbers give you a headache, this kind of shrinks it down to help you know how to get out of debt and spend your money wisely. And I found a, a little clip of this system. I think it's going to revolutionize our, our finances and the way we do budgets. And I'm going to show that to you today to help inspire you if, this is, if you're one of those that struggle with financial debt. Go ahead. Oh. I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. <laughs> should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. 
Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. The advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Right, it's a novel concept, but you get the idea, right? Right, it's just a simple, basic thing. But if we were to handle our finances, if we were to honor God with the way we spend our money, if we were to be a little bit more patient with our purchases and make sure we were being wise with our resources, then we would probably feel a little less stressed in life and maybe a little less guilty when it comes time to pass the bucket on Sundays. And this is just something that affects all of us. And this crisis, this tension between what we'd like to give or what we feel we should be giving versus what we actually give isn't new to us. There's actually a story in Matthew 22, verse 15, where Jesus has a discussion about giving. And we're going to begin reading in verse 15. It says The word of the Lord says this. It says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us, what do you think about this? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for the tax. And when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. So if the taxes belong to Caesar, what is it that belongs to God? In this context, the answer that they were wrestling with is the tithe. That's an Old Testament uh, term, the tithe. And so they were conflicted or they were trying to create a, conf a conflict between paying these uh, enormous taxes to Caesar or paying what they know spiritually they owe God. And so, you know, we kind of need to unpack what exactly is the tithe? What is it that they were arguing with? What is it that they were in conflict about paying? And so we're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture to see really what the tithe is. In Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23, Moses writes this, he says, You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. So the first thing we see about the tithe is that it is a tenth of everything you produce or everything that you earn. In that day, many of them were herdsmen. They were farmers, and so they earned a living by what they produced. So the first tenth of what you produce is part 
of the tithe is the tithe. Another verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon writes this. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. So not only is it a tenth of everything, but it is the best tenth of everything. It's not just what you can do, uh, deal with uh, letting go of or what you can stand giving to God. It's the very best of what you have produced, uh, the very best tenth. In Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 30, the prophet Ezekiel says this. He says, The first of the ripe fruits in all the gifts brought to the Lord will go to the priest. The first batch of dough must also be given to the priest, so the Lord will bless your homes. This is the offering of the first fruits. This is what the tithe was connected to. And so we have it's the tenth of all you produce, it's the best tenth, and it is the first tenth. Of what you produce. That means payday comes and the first tenth, the best portion, belongs to God. Now, it's important for us to understand what's happening in the story of Matthew 22. Jesus is arguing with these guys or discussing with these guys about an Old Testament concept that began before the law but that was really instituted in the law. And in, uh, in the nation of Israel, when they entered into the, the, the land, the land of Canaan, and God divided the land up between the 12 tribes, there was one tribe that didn't get any land. It was the tribe of Levi. They were dedicated as the priests of God, and God, he placed them in the temple to administer all the places, all the sacrifices, all the rituals, everything that was done in honor for the Lord was administered by the priests. And God utilized the tithe to be the priest portion. So everything that was brought in from the tithe as worship from the other tribes was the income of the priests. And so this is kind of the economy or system God set up in the nation of Israel uh, for their not just acts of worship, but also to provide for the, the priests and the ministry in the temple. And so now fast forward, we are no longer in the Old Testament system. The temple system is no more. Jesus Christ died on the cross, praise God, came back from the dead, hallelujah, and now we live in this age of grace, in this time we live in Christ. And Paul the Apostle, he, he tells us in the book of Romans that because of Christ's death and resurrection, all of the requirements of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. In other words, everything the Old Testament was designed to do was fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. That's why we don't have to wash our hands a certain way before we eat. We don't have to avoid shellfish and polyester clothing. There are lots of things in the law that we don't have to do because Jesus Christ fulfilled the purpose of those things in his death and resurrection. And the tithe is one of those regulations. But just because we are free from the law, we've been free to have to live under the weight of these regulations as prescribed by God through Moses in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean as Christians, as believers in Christ, we are free from giving. We are not free from giving or being generous because generosity is an act of love. And God is a God of love and he wants us to live a life of love. And so instead of mandating a specific portion, a specific amount, just like he did to the, the nation of Israel, in the New Testament, Paul instructs the church a little differently. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, here's what Paul tells the church. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly 
or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And in 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 2, he says this. He says, on the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you've earned. And so now we see, and as he's talking about giving in the church, we see how it connects together. The expectation for the church in the New Testament, first and foremost, is give what you can with a joyful heart. Don't give out of guilt. Don't give in response to pressure because somebody told you you won't be a good Christian if you don't give a certain amount. Give as an act of worship. Let it be joyful from your heart. But then he also says, give it on the first day of the week. He's connecting it again back to that first fruits offering. Give the best part of all that you earn. In other words, now in the New Testament, the New Testament age, we are to be intentional about our giving as an act of worship. We're not to tip God at the end when we have a little bit left over, but we are to set aside our worship in the beginning, just like the first fruit offering, but according to what God has given us. So the question becomes, why does God want us to give it all? If the temple system's over, done away with, if the priests no longer are in the temple, God's presence doesn't reside in a building. He resides in our hearts. Why does God want us to give now? Why is giving still a part of the Christian life? Is it to make the pastor rich? I wish, but that's not the case. You know, I could use a new car, but uh, that, that's not why we give. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. He says, Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whether you give, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly or with a happy heart. And give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. In other words, don't go into debt in order to put money in the bucket or in the plate. He says, of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean there should be some equality. Right now, you, have, you that have plenty can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. And this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. So what Paul is saying here is even though the temple system is over, there's no need to support the priests in the temple God still desires that we give, that we gather together and give out of our resources. Why? To take care of each other, to fund the ministry, to fund our community of faith, that when one of you falls into hard times, we have resources available given by all to help you. And I know that this church has been able to do a lot of good in our community and in this church because of the faithful giving of this body. See, for the church now in the New Testament, it's not about equal gifts. It's not about everyone giving the same amount or the same percentage, but it is about equal sacrifice. It's about everyone doing their part and participating in the community of faith as we work together for a common goal. And that common goal is to share God's love through meeting needs as we preach the gospel and make disciples. And so we give in order to provide for the needs of those in our church and to make an impact in our community. So the question is, ultimately, do I have to tithe? I've been taught this since I was in Sunday school. 10% goes to God, 10% goes to my bank, and I can spend the rest. Do I have to do that 10%? And the answer is no. You don't have to do that 10%. Because God does not command the church to tithe. 
but he does call us to be generous. He calls us to be generous. This is not a get out of giving permission card. This is a call to something greater. And we are called to be generous. Why? Because God is generous. The scripture says, Jesus who was rich became poor so that we who were poor could become rich. God modeled this act of crazy generosity in Jesus Christ, the same generosity he desires for his people to model. And so when it comes to our resources, Jesus desires for his church to be helpers and not hoarders. To be willing to give of what God has given to them in order to be a blessing to other people. But as Paul said here in 2 Corinthians, that doesn't mean we go into poverty in order to help someone out of poverty. It doesn't mean we give up the blessings God has given us in our lives just so that someone else can live blessed. It means we do what we can do in order to help people with what God has given us. And so no, God does not command us to tithe but he does command us to be generous. The thing about tithing, though, is that even though it's not a command to tithe, we are invited to tithe. We're not commanded to tithe, but God invites his church to tithe. And it's an invitation to trust him. It's kind of like his triple dog dare because he, tithing comes with a promise. God has said, if you choose to trust me with this portion, then something good is going to come out of that. In Proverbs chapter 3, again in verse 9, if we carry over into verse 10, we see the promise connected to the tithe. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the prophet Malachi says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is God's literal triple dog dare to you. He's saying, test me out. Try me. See, if you honor me with your finances, if you honor me in the tithe, if I will not provide for you in a way you cannot imagine. Paul says in the New Testament, God is exceedingly able to do more than we could possibly ask or think. Our God is a big God. Our God is a good God. And he's prepared a big and a good blessing for you if you would be faithful with your resources. God promises if we honor him with that tithe, with the first and best of all that we have, and we do it of our own free will, out of the joy of our hearts, that blessing is on its way. And many may be here today, and you might say, you know what, Joey, I cannot tithe. I can't afford it. I've looked at my finances, what's coming in and what's going out, and I cannot afford it, and I get that. I know what it's like to live week to week. And almost week to half a week sometimes. You don't, don't really know how you're going to make it. And it's been my experience and the experience of my family that even though we can't afford to give a lot of times, we cannot afford not to give. Because if God hadn't poured down uh, from heaven, if he hadn't opened those windows of heaven and given us blessings in the times that we really needed it, at some point we may not have made it. There are things that we didn't know how we were going to pay some of our bills, and we got money in the mail, or someone dropped by a check or, or, or came by just in the nick of time when we least expected it, and they didn't even know about our need. But God knew about our need. And sometimes, because God is a good God, he'll supply for things not necessarily that you need, but that you want. You know, there are times where we wanted to do things for our kids and didn't know how we were going to do it, but then the money was there. 
God is a good God, and he is faithful to his word. And ultimately, when it comes to tithing, tithing comes down to a matter of faith. Giving to God, being faithful with your resources, comes down to a matter of faith. Do I trust him or don't I? Because if I trust him, then I trust him enough to give to him first and trust that he will supply for my every need. Here in Matthew 22, the priest asked Jesus this question, who should we pay, God or Caesar? See, they were assuming that both was impossible. But little did they know that with man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are what? Possible. Man, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's possible through God to pay both God and Caesar. But the thing is, the priests were making money the issue, but money here really wasn't the issue. Money was the focus, but money really wasn't the problem. See, they were trying to trap Jesus with this question. They were trying to get him out of the way. They were trying to get out from underneath his influence. They didn't want him hanging around. They didn't want to submit to him, and they didn't want to have to live under the pressure of not obeying what he said they should do. And so they were coming to Jesus in all their wisdom and glory and and trying to trap him with this question so that they could move him out of the way. And they were using this issue of money to do it. And I think if we're honest... We really take inventory of our hearts. The tension we feel when it comes to tithing, when it comes to giving, when it comes to being faithful with our resources is because we ultimately find ourselves doing the very same thing. When we look at what's coming in and what needs to go out, we don't see it to add up. We start to ask God questions. God, do I pay my bills this week or do I tithe? God, do I buy groceries this week or do I tithe. God, do I invest in my family? You've given me these kids to take care of. There's these things coming up that they need to do or I want them to do. And if I tithe, I can't do those things. Which is it? Do I pay Caesar or do I pay God? We debate him about our finances, if we should give or even if we should give at all. What we're really saying when we ask God these questions is, God, I don't want to submit. God, I don't want to live under the pressure of what you're inviting me to do. God, I don't want to be generous like you're generous. I want to do my own thing. And we make money the issue when really money isn't the issue. There's something else going on. There's a spiritual issue. There's a heart issue. And there's a faith issue. Matthew 22, 21, Jesus said this. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Is he talking about the tithe here? Well, practically, yes. But really, what is he talking about? See, God doesn't need your money. He owns it all. It all belongs to him. He created it. It's his. We're just renting it. We're just managing what he's given us. It all belongs to God. So when he says, give to God what belongs to God, what is Jesus really getting at? He's getting at your heart. See, everything God does, everything he asks of us to do is all about you giving your heart to him. The first and greatest commandment Jesus declared is that you are to love God with all you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is a jealous God. That means he does not share. He doesn't want anything to come between you and him. He doesn't want anything 
to divide or separate your relationship with him. He's madly in love with you, and he wants nothing in the way of your relationship. He wants you to give him all that you are. And tithing and giving ultimately comes down to a matter of the heart. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. See, the battle over your resources is a battle for control. And really, who are you going to give control to? Are you going to give control to your money, or are you going to give control to God? Are you going to let Caesar rule, or are you going to let God rule? See, if you serve money, if money is ultimately your God and what you serve, then tithing, giving, being generous will not come joyously. It won't be a happy thing. It's going to be a struggle. It won't be a priority for you. And if it's done at all, it'll be out of guilt and at the last second, just so you don't feel embarrassed when the bucket is passed down the aisle. But if you choose to serve God, you will recognize that everything you have belongs to him anyways. And all he's asking is a small portion of what he's given you to be returned back to him. You'll set up your life in order to honor him with your finances so that you'll not only be able to give, but that you'll be able to give your first and your best with an eager and a happy heart. You'll make sure that God gets his portion before anyone else gets their portion and before you treat yourself. And even be willing to shed out a little extra bread and acts of crazy generosity when people are in need because love is overflowing in your heart because you're so thankful for what God has done for you, what he's given you, that you're willing to show that love to other people, not just loving God with all that you are, but loving your neighbor as yourself, caring and considering other people the way you think about your own life. If you look at your finances, look at your check registry, your bank statement, and you look at your spending habits, your bank statement literally is a mirror to the heart. It reveals what you're truly invested in. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. God wants your desires to be kingdom-minded. He wants you to be invested in your relationship with God and in the kingdom of heaven. He wants your heart to belong to him. God doesn't want you to be poor. He doesn't want you to struggle. Jesus said, I came to give you an abundant life. An abundant life doesn't mean constant debt and struggling for your bills to be paid. God wants you to have an abundant life. But what God also knows is that true riches come through loving him with all that you are, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And until you submit everything, including your finances, to him, you're going to be battling against what you want versus what he wants for you. And Jesus is trying to lead you into that abundant life. And the more you let go of this life, the more you'll be able to experience that abundant life. See, there's more at stake than money. Tithing, giving, and generosity is a matter of the heart. And the more our hearts resist God's will, the less we get to experience his blessings. And God has a blessing already in store. It's waiting for you just to say, okay, God, 
that's yours. So today in this moment, ask yourself this question. What kind of giver are you? Where are you at with your giving and your generosity? Are you a struggling guilt giver? What I mean by that is, are you so in debt that you can't even pay your bills? And when you put anything into the plate, you go further into the hole. But you keep giving because you don't want people to think badly of you or even God to think badly of you. Oh, I missed it again this week. I better throw something in there. If that's you, if it's a struggle, if it's a crisis, if it's a painful thing to give to God, Paul says, don't give it. God doesn't want you to give out of reluctance or out of pressure. Hear me. I'm a pastor of a church giving you permission not to give if it's a struggle. All right? This isn't about getting rich. This is about giving your heart to God. Give God your heart in your budget first. Get your finances right. Be responsible with how you spend your money. Be wise about your purchases. Seek a financial advisor to get you on a plan so that you can dig yourself out of the hole that you're in so that you can begin giving with a happy heart. Jesus tells a story about a widow and a rich guy. This rich guy gives this great, incredible gift, and he's so proud of what he's given. Then there's this little widow with some pocket change, and she gives the pocket change. And Jesus says that she'll be rewarded even greater in heaven than the rich man because she gave all that she had. And how was she able to do that? Because she loved God with all that she was, and it was an act of worship in her gift. It wasn't something that was a struggle for her. She knew that God would take care of her, and she knew that her love was so that God was able to take that. She was able to give that to God and not look back. See, it doesn't matter how much the gift is. It matters about the heart behind the gift. And if you're struggling, if you're that struggling guilt giver, stop giving until you get your life right, until you get your life in order, and then you can be faithful in your gift. And if all you have at the end of the week is a couple of cents, that matters if it's an act of worship before God. Are you an end-of-the-week tipper? You tip God, but you don't tithe. Right? You've got enough money, but you don't really make God a priority or ministry a priority or the kingdom of heaven a priority. And so when it comes to Sunday services, you throw in a few bucks just because that makes you feel good at the end of the day. But you need to give God your heart. Start trusting him in the tithe. Begin prioritizing your finances so that you can give to him first. And if you're like me and cash burns a hole in your pocket, the minute you pull your cash out, you can give that. You can give online. You can put it in an offering envelope, send it in the mail, whatever you want to do. But begin setting up your finances to honor God with his portion, with the tithe, and honor him that way. Be intentional. And it's not because we want something from you. It's that God's got a blessing for you. And when you don't honor him in the gift, he holds back that blessing. And I want to see God bless your life. I want to see things happen for you. I want those last minute saves to come in right on time because you're faithful in your gift. Are you a faithful tither? You set aside God's portion every week. You give it faithfully. There's no question as whether or not you're giving. That's awesome. I'm thankful for you. You need to pray about becoming more generous. This is a struggle that I've had. Generosity has not been my thing. I tell this story a lot. When Tony and I were first dating, 
it was a struggle for me to even let her have a bite off my plate when we were on dates, right? I was a struggling with generosity. You know, that's something God's growing in me, and I've, I've come a long way. I've got a ways to go. But generosity is what God's heart is for us. He's generous, and he wants us to be generous too. So pray about becoming more generous, about God providing you those opportunities. And then choose to step out in faith and in worship, God, with your resources by giving above your tithe. We have a, a, a missions budget. Uh, we're able to send a few missionaries overseas, but we'd like to do more. We'd like to send some of our church people on missions trips. We have a missions fund that, that needs to be uh, filled so that we can do that. We also are raising funds for the future. If God leads to and opens opportunity for us to get a building of our own or buy land, we have funds there. If that's something that you're passionate about and want to step out in generosity, we would welcome that. Other things you can do is uh, help fund ministries like My Brother's Keeper. We have to buy groceries every week for that to prepare those meals. That's a big uh, burden that can be uh, utilized with some generosity. Or you could just buy some gas cards or grocery cards, have some cash on hand that you set aside just to find somebody each week or month to give. There are many ways you can be generous. Pray about God leading you further in your generosity. And lastly... Are you crazy generous? Are you a crazy generous person? Since we look biblically and we look at God's will for the church, the tithe is just the starting point. It's just the baseline. This is where we start. God has so much more in store for us. And if you're one of those that started the tithe, but you give not just to other things, but you give to people, you help people out, God bless you, and I'm so thankful that you're able to do that. Keep up the good work. Keep it up. Keep advancing the kingdom with your generosity. And while you're at it, invite some of us who struggle with generosity in on what you're doing so that your generosity can rub off on us. Because we all need to grow in generosity. That generosity can become contagious. God has great blessings in store for all of us. And all he asks us to do is to be faithful and to give with generous and joyful hearts. And I know and I'm so thankful that Vertical Life Church is a generous church. We are a generous church. And I'm not saying that arrogantly or pridefully. I know it because I see what comes in. For our size and our budget, I'm, I'm blown away. And the amount that we're able to give into the community and the things we're able to do uh, through our ministry, I'm blown away. I, I talk to people all the time who hear about some of the stuff that we've done and they try to implement those things at their church, and they experience resistance. They have all this red tape, and people don't understand. Why would you do that? Well, it's because we love people. Well, I still don't understand. Why would you do that? You know, I mean, just these dynamics and things that they experience that we don't experience here because God has given us a church that is generous, and I am very thankful for that. Generosity is not just a passion of ours. It's a core value of our church, and I'm so excited to see what God does through our church this year with what comes in in our ability to meet needs. Proverbs 18, 16 says this, says giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. And we as a church, we want to continue opening doors and leverage our generosity. So not just so that we can take care of our members and people in our church that are struggling, but so that we can branch out into the community and make the name of Jesus famous through our acts of love. But for us to continue to do that, each of us need to catch the vision. We need to connect with God's heart, and we need to give faithfully. 
And if we continue to give Jesus more of our hearts through our finances and our resources, we are faithful in our giving, we will have everything that we need to take care of one another and do the ministry that he's leading us to do. And this year and next year, I'm excited to partner with you in being generous in our community. And I, I just want to close our services today and say, for those of you that have been giving uh, from the bottom of my heart, I'm thankful. Some of you give way above and beyond. And those that do just what they can do, God is going to bless your life. And God is going to do incredible things. And there are people even in this place today that have been recipients of that generosity. And I know that they're thankful as well. And so continue to do the good work, church, that you're doing. And uh, we'll see what God is able to open up for us this year. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings. God, we thank you for what you've given us and what you've entrusted to us. God, you said in your word, and Jesus said, those who are faithful in little, you will make rulers of much in the kingdom of heaven. So God, help us to be faithful in the little that we're given. Help us to honor you. Help us not to be torn about who we're going to serve. Help us not to be attached to this world. Help us to desire always to be kingdom-minded. God, don't let us feel guilty about enjoying the blessings that you've given us, God, but don't let us be so attached to them that we're unwilling to make sacrifices when we see a brother or sister in need. God, I pray that you would always have our hearts because our hearts are connected to our pocketbooks, to our wallets. And God, don't let it ever be a struggle for us to honor you with our finances because we know you leverage our resources to reach the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for those that are here that have given faithfully. God, I thank you for those that are here that haven't given, that are being challenged today, and that will submit and surrender, and as an act of worship, begin giving what they can. God, I pray for those that are struggling in debt, and their finances just seem insurmountable with the things that they have to pay and, and their, their bills. God, I pray that you'd begin giving them wisdom and giving them strength to continue to be faithful in how they manage their money, so that you can pull them out of debt, you can pull them out of that struggle, and they can begin walking in blessing and join us in the gift. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and how you weren't stingy with your son and how you gave him on the cross to pay for our sins. He took our place, and through him and his resurrection, we can have new life. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, we love you and we give you all that we are in this place. In Jesus' name.